Welcome to the podcast series, Irish by the Grace of God. And here's your host, Tony Gorman. Great news, everybody. Irish by the Grace of God have now got a badly needed sponsor. GetDigs.ie are an Irish company that specialize in rental accommodation on a Monday to Friday basis. And homeowners can rent out a room in their home for part of the week and still avail of the government's rent-a-room scheme and earn up to 14000 per annum tax-free. That's fourteen grand. That's a serious incentive. They also have a presence in the UK with getdigs.co.uk. And their homeowners can earn up to £7,500 sterling per annum tax-free for renting out a room. And now they're also launching in the USA with a website called fivesleeps.com. That's the number five followed by sleeps.com, fivesleeps.com. So check out the websites for more details and uh, make contact with them. Okay, welcome to uh, an episode of Irish by the Grace of God. My guest today is uh, a Mr. Don Tobin from Drogheda in Ireland. Before we kick off, uh, I have to say up front that I know Don from many, many, many moons ago uh, when we worked together uh, in summer jobs uh, and then he left our shores uh, and he might say, that I didn't keep in contact, and he'd be right. <laughs> so you're very welcome, Dan. <clears throat> Long time no see. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we have to try and catch up again someday, but frankly, I'm not too pushed. <laughs> okay, well, you're up front anyway, that's good. So um, I'll take you back uh, to your, uh, you know, earlier days and growing up in Ireland. Uh, what was that like for you, uh, you know, going to school, your education, and maybe a bit about the area you grew up in and stuff like that? Uh, wow. Yeah, well, <laughs> I got to try and shake the memory a bit because I was born in 1960, Tony. Can you believe it? 62 yeah. now. Yes, you I can. can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I was actually born, I was trying to think about this, I was actually born in a house. Which wow. probably explains an awful lot, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the house, yeah, in Ballymun, in, in Dublin. That was the family home, the first one. Wow, and I never knew yeah. that. So you were originally from Dublin. Well, well, Tony, when we get to talk, you like talking about yourself, but you don't really ask <laughs> me. <any questions>. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ballymun, yeah, that's right. Uh, and then, no, the first one was Ballymun, and then I've no memory of it. And then we moved to an aspiring up-and-coming suburb called Clondalkin wow. in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I can remember that a bit more. <clears throat> Not much, though, because it's all in the 60s, and you know what the 60s were like. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I do remember, though, I tell you what I remember, the first time the colour TV came. I think we all have that memory. Yeah. And I used to love watching Pot Black. Do you still have it over there? You know the No, snooker? no, no, that's... that's on. Yeah. Well, Pop Black in black and white. Can you imagine? Yeah. And A. Reardon is about to go for the pink. And that would be the ball in the top right-hand corner <laughs> of your screen. All you can see is grey. Yeah. Seven shades of grey. And then in came the colour TV and it was like an explosion. I can just remember as a kid. It was the same same feeling I had when I went on the Barrier Reef for the first time in Australia, you know, struggling with the snorkel and go horizontal and get that explosion of colour. I can right, remember right, that right. so distinctively. Yeah, but, I, oh, what I remember about the, the, the TVs back then is that the kids were the remote controls. The father would give you a nudge with his foot to change the channel. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But go on, go on anyway. Well, we were actually a lot more, you know, under the thumb of our father. He didn't even have to nudge. He just grunted <laughs> and we knew. <laughs> Yeah, but then we, of course, we moved to uh, a, a Julianstown, which is where I, I'm from. Drogheda was just the nearest town, but actually, I'm I'm a, I'm a Mead man from yeah. County Mead. Drogheda's County Loud, as nice you probably area. know. Yeah, yeah, nice yeah. area. And so I, I'd probably consider myself a country boy, uh, which is where I I kind of grew up in Julianstown. 
Very good. And then in terms of education, primary school, secondary school, I know you went to uni. Uh, I can't remember much about primary other than I did hit Julianstown, I, I guess, just for the last year and a half of primary. And I remember going in, you know, and I don't know what it was like, but this was, there was three levels. There was the midsection, there was the top section to the left and another section to the right. And I didn't realize when he put me in the mid, that's kind of the middle of the road. You haven't right. been decided yet whether you're good or bad. Sure. And I, I answered a question that was put into the top section and I realized that was the good section. So, you know, I got a promotion <laughs> on day one. But secondary, I, I remember secondary very well. I went to St. Joseph's. I think uh, if you're in Julianstown, that side of Drawdy, you, you went to either St. Mary's or St. Joseph's, you know, the usual yeah, schools. Yeah. And I think mum picked St. Joseph's because they had a better, apparently a better academic record. Okay. So he clearly wanted me to get above my station. <laughs> and we all know that didn't happen. Well, <laughs> there were a few setbacks. <laughs> okay. So St. Joseph, yeah. So you obviously got the bus in, the, 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 um, the bus in from Julianstown. Yeah, you know, these days you hold your children's <clears throat> hand, don't you? You're afraid of everything. But then your mum would kick you out the door and away you go and you have to cross that busy road. Yes. Yeah. It's a shocking busy road. Yeah, yeah, And you're yeah. taking your life into your hands sometimes. But, you know, with five kids, one's dispensable. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> Still got four. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. The back, seat, the back seat of the car is a little better. Yeah. And, and just in terms of secondary school, did you enjoy it? Was it, how was it for you? Uh, I, I I enjoyed leaving it. Yeah, to be quite honest. I, I there are people I've met, and they they loved their schooling years, and and they'd go back to these get-togethers yeah. every year. I couldn't be arsed. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I've no friends from that era. I wasn't a very popular kid. Don't say anything. <laughs> but uh, I have no unhappy memories. But I don't have glorious memories at the same time. Sure. It was old. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then, finish school and up to Dublin to university. Yeah, uh, UCD. Yeah, up to UCD, um, and uh, that was interesting because you know, I guess I'd called myself from a lower middle class family, but then everyone at that time was the same. Tony, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone had the same number of kids. This the one car. Dad's working, mum's at home, little house. No one really was in this, was distinguishable from anybody else. We sure, were all, yeah. it's, Ireland was homogenous at that yeah, time, yeah. I think. And, and of course, being from that kind of lower middle class background, parents couldn't afford me and my brother at the time to live in Dublin. So we had to commute. And that meant, that was, you know, that meant up at 6.15 every morning, and, you know, in dad's car at 6.30, the Volkswagen Beetle and, you know, getting up to Belbrig and just flying. And you can see the train on the coastline because the, the road runs parallel to the railway track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old road and said, dad, hurry, you got to beat the train. It's coming in now. And and we'd be on that train till late 30 at Sydney Parade or somewhere like that. And then Brian and I would have to run up the road for the first class at nine o'clock. Wow. And that, that was going there, and it was the same coming back. Yeah, yeah. You know, huge commutes, but we didn't know any different. But when you look back on it, you go, no wonder I failed the subject. <laughs> <laughs> I blame your father. <laughs> I Look, I, I blame so many people. I, I wish I could blame you, but I didn't know you then. <laughs> okay, and again, uni enjoyable times? Uni was more enjoyable, but because I I, did, I didn't invest myself in living up there, I couldn't really enjoy the social scene of a university. Yeah, yeah. I was back home, quick dinner, and I did you know I did a bachelor of science, and I did very challenging subjects. Uh, you know, in second year, I did chemistry, biochemistry, pharmacology. They're all fairly intense. Yeah. Lab based. I had basically an afternoon off a week. So it was very, very full on. And then with the commute distance, it, it was hard to really get
get into it. But I, I did. I did kind of enjoy it. I enjoyed it better than school. Yeah, but yeah. once more, no friends from it. Yeah. And, and those subjects you, you just spoke, pharmacology, all the pharma stuff, that's huge in Ireland now at the moment. So it'd be very relevant. Yeah. I, I was ahead of my time, Tony, clearly. Sure, yeah, um, clearly. You know, <laughs> what can I say? So again, you finished college and you went straight in uh, to, the, to work, basically. Yeah, I did do work before. We did a lot of summer work, remember? In fact, that's, I think, where I met you. That's but, right, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, <clears throat> you had to work as well because there was no money. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're encouraged to keep working. And uh, I think my first job was picking tomatoes with the local farmer. I, I still remember that. That, that smell of, you know, do you ever buy vine ripened tomatoes on the vine yes, and, yeah. and you get that smell? It, it, it brings back that memory. But, um, and I, I remember we put our first CVs together. Do you remember your first CV, Tony? And yeah. oh, you had to put on, you know, what have you worked during the summer? You had no bloody experience. So you put down everything. And I remember putting down, you know, 75 to 76 summer tomato picker. And then I looked at my brother's equivalent one and he put down trainee horticulturalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I remember, yeah, I remember starting my summer work at 14. Every summer from 14 yeah, onwards. Well, I do remember, I do know your father. I could believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Anyway, so... Yeah, so go back to the... Yeah, we first met in Butlins. We were we were cellarmen yes. in... Dan Lowry's bar. So That's right. I know I worked four summers in a row, you know, end of uh, secondary school and through uh, college. But um, they were great times, great times. Uh, look, and, and, and you talk about I, I've, I've no friends from school. I've no friends from uni, but boy, do I have friends from Butlins. Sure. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it? And and you know your brother of course is one of my best friends and uh, you're okay and uh, but i think i met you in my last year i did three summers in a row and it was 79 i think would that be right tony 1979 yeah cuz i i recall distinctly uh in 79 the two of us and two barmaids went up to um dublin to see acdc live with bon scott dressed in our leather trousers, PVC, our PVC leather jackets, and uh, great concert, great gig. Came back the next day very late, and the four of us went into the bar. The manager was waiting for us. He allowed the two barmaids in. He stopped us and said, you're fired. <laughs> But we got reinstated a day later, I think. So it was well, we did because I, my, the next door neighbor was was high up in the organization. You, I, you probably never knew I got you reinstated. <laughs> you know, it's who you know, Tony. Remember that. <laughs> no, that's true. And and this is a story. Um, I, I was enjoying that year so much, and you know, we had our first girlfriends. I think Tony uh, and all that, and we were just it was just fabulous. Yeah. It was just fabulous, and. I, I, because I failed pharmacology, I should have just repeated it and you'd get it, no problem. And then you go on to do the honours degree, which is a four year course. Hmm. But, you know, I, I decided not to do it. I, I, I picked fun over my future. And and I, I ended up having a general degree, a three year general degree, which at the time, given 18% unemployment in Ireland, that was a, a real dumb thing to do. but. When I look back at it, I go, oh, my God, I, I picked crack yeah. over, you know, my future. Crack Trump's future. <laughs> Don't mention Trump. Okay. <laughs> but, wow, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Uh, and uh, it actually, without me knowing it, 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 because if we get on to my real work, it changed probably the direction of my life because you you don't know what's going to happen in your life until you start getting your first jobs and and let's face some people have their their life mapped out 
because they're doctors, you know, there's a career path, but not me, not you, you know, we just kind of fell into things, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Life has a funny way of, of working itself out anyway. Yeah. And just Butlins, obviously, is, as an entertainment camp has closed down many years ago. Are you saddened to see that? Yeah, you know, I, I, every time I go home, because we lived on the, the Butlins Road, the Mosney Road, I always go down. I don't go into it, but I have yeah. a look and I, the memories flood back, I have to say. Oh, what? You talk about ACDC. I, I'll talk about that later at the concert, but do you remember? I think I turned you on to ACDC. I'm sure I did. No, no, no. I turned I'm you sure on I, to... I bought, if you want blood, you got it, the no. live album. No, you've got Are it you wrong. saying you? I did. Okay. Well, I'll give you that because, you know, <laughs> I think I have to. It's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I could edit it out. But I tell you, if that's true, wow, what 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 a, what a journey! And uh, and I do remember a memory of the two of us. By the way, I've never admitted they were PBC. To this day, I say they were leather trousers. <laughs> Maybe you just need a bit more resolve. You you need to learn to lie over a forty year period, Tony. Okay. But I remember we went into the the the, the staff disco, armed with the LP. If you remember the leather it's the pleather trousers the black t-shirt i think i had my studded wristband yes. on. <laughs> and and we you know and at the time there they were going the girls and the boys you know don't blame it on the sunshine don't blame it on the moonlight don't blame it on the good times blame it on the bouquet and away they're, and they're going prancing and prancing and we marched up to the dj side one track one <laughs> And on comes whole lot of Rosie. The place clears, and I don't know what we did, but we thought we were bloody good. We were cool. We were really cool. Uh, we were different. I think you were on my shoulders. That's right. And I, I recall, I knocked your glasses off <laughs> onto the floor. It was you. Yeah. <laughs> I've knocked them off myself doing the Wearmit. I knocked them off at a Horse Lips concert once and they went flying up in the air and I had to clear the mosh pit. Can you imagine clearing a mosh pit so I can recover my glasses? But I got them. Yeah, uh, there were good times. There were good times. But uh, so then um, your last year in Butlins, you had to grow up then and get a job. A real got the job. job. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I did, and, and I got you, a job at the US. And you Muslim didn't. Man. And you didn't grow up. <laughs> the growing up is uh, well. If you ask my kids, they'd say nah. But uh, yeah, I, I did. You know, it's it's a case of again, my mum rang someone who rang someone, and I got the opportunity. You have to walk through the door, but it's so important to try and open up doors, isn't it? Yeah, and. Ireland was phenomenally difficult. And that's why my cohort were still doing another year of, you know, a degree to get an honours degree. And I've got this general degree, but I got the job with a with an American multinational. And I, wow. uh, you know, this lady, she fabulous. You know, you talk about mentoring now, don't you? She was my mentor before the word existed. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I had so much respect for this woman. She was so smart, so tough so fair so uh, you know, and she really pushed me forward because you can be reluctant in your early years to take on responsibility can't you you, you know, yeah. become a supervisor you don't want to do it you know that's the, they say the difference between a boy and a man is responsibility and and you don't want to take it on but she gently coaxed me and you know in 80 in eight years there i reached management level i was one of the youngest managers in in the group they were they, they, they places in Boston, in Mexico, in, in the Netherlands. So I was a very young manager, I think 26 years of age. And, oh. and uh, that, that entitled me to the company car. And, and one memory I have is going back home to see mom and dad with the brand new. It wasn't a Corolla, Tony, at the time. It was the one above it, the 1.6 litre. I can't remember. Camry or Celine? Yes, I can't yes, remember. Yes, yes. The one above the Corolla, which was 1.3. And I remember driving home into the driveway and this brand new 1.6 liter uh, Toyota drives in front or behind my dad's 1.3 liter <laughs> five-year-old Corolla. And I, I have to say, I was embarrassed. 
I remember feeling embarrassed. And of course, my parents were not. They were, you know, overjoyed. Because you you want to see your kid. Now that I've got them, you do want to see them move on, even go better than you. You don't care about that. Just go forward. But I, I do I do have that that feeling of embarrassment. Why, why am I at at twenty six have a, a better car than my dad has been working for thirty years? Uh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you always struck me, and it may have something to do with you progressing in management. You always struck me, even at an early age back in Butlins, as being super confident. Yeah, look, I, I think that came from my air guitar. Um, I was a great proponent of the air. Do you know I went into the air guitar championships in Australia? You, do you know that story? I think you do. Yeah, I don't know whether you should mention this on a podcast. <laughs> it was the inaugural air guitar and and I qualified for the Queensland finals. Wow. And, and lost out. But but yeah, I, I considered it an art form by then. So you're right, I haven't grown up. <laughs> That's a great distinction. But uh, so you're now 26, you're in management in Dublin, have a nice fancy car in whatever, 19, what would that have been, 1985, 1986? 87, the beginning of 87, I would say. Yeah, which would have been a big deal because nobody at 26 would have had a car back then. Not a new one, not a new new one. 1.6 litre, no. So were you happy at this stage or where did... You know, emigrating, come into the picture. Were you thinking about it for a long time? What you know? What oh, was, I was, the... I was very, I was very happy. You know, uh, uh, and I had the band as well. You know, I noticed you've got a guitar there. It's probably for show. You can, oh, you can see my one there as well. But yeah, mine's for show, for sure. <laughs> All right, but you know, my my biggest hobby, as you know, is 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 music. My passion always has been music. You know, from listening to it. You know, as a, as a 14, 13 year, watching Top of the Pops and watching Slade and, and, and T-Rex and all those. And then and then really discovering the music I loved, which was rock music. And, you know, four bands saved my, my ass growing up in, in that rural Ireland. Uh, you're giving me all these dreams and, and this, this huge world stage. And, and I, I loved Tin Lizzy, but who didn't? Mm. Who didn't? I loved... Uh, I loved Queen, but 70s Queen, not 80s Queen, mm. early Queen. I loved uh, Alice Cooper. Oh, gee. and of course, I used to play it so loud in a small room. And I'd be in front of the mirror, honing my air guitar skills. And Dad would always be telling me to turn that music down, turn it down. And one day he just came into the room because I couldn't hear him. And he found me mid-pose in front of the mirror. <laughs> And I, I froze and he froze and all you could hear in the background was, I love the dead. Well, <laughs> he stood, he quietly left. I'm sure he thought he'd lost his second son you know, <laughs> to the devil. <laughs> and of course, Akadaka, ACDC, you know, and, and from listening to it to <clears throat> seeing it, the first gig. Can you remember your first gig, Tony? My first gig was actually, I think you could have been at it with my brother in the stadium, Rory Gallagher. Oh, brilliant. And we were, we had restricted seats on the ticket. And actually, that's a good story. Um, We went in anyway, and we were way up the back and we were behind Marshall Amps. And Rory came well, on. We the, the PA, the entire the PA. PA. That's the right. Yeah. Meant you couldn't see a feckin' thing. That's what we couldn't speaking. see a thing. And then he came out, and the first lick of the guitar, we looked at each other and said, So we ran down, and the bouncers came out, and we burst through the b- bouncers up beside the stage. And the same night, oh, it was a great gig, same night, we queued to meet Rory. Now, I was, I was only 16, right? And I was next in the queue and yourself and my brother, Jerry, were behind me. And I went up to Rory and he was lovely and he was trying to get me to talk. And I was completely starstruck. And he was saying, what do you think of the gig? And I just couldn't talk. (laughs) And I just handed him three things, which I have to this day. The Irish flag, which he signed. 
my bus ticket, my school bus ticket, he signed and the ticket of the concert and I have all of them. And then he came in and I could hear he asking about guitars and, oh, and I was going, why didn't I say something? Well, you were 16, so it's forgivable. Oh, do you know, talking about busting the bouncers to get to the front, I did that with my four-year-old kid. We went to the Wiggles <laughs> in Australia and we were in row Y of a, of a Z. And the boy, he's like, Daddy, I can't see a thing. And I said, don't worry, son, I'm going to show you something. And the minute the Wiggles came on, we tore down, slapped the bouncer to the side and straight to the front and started the mosh pit. <laughs> Again, something probably you shouldn't be saying on a podcast. <laughs> so music is a huge, you know, hobby. But can I talk about the first gig I, I oh, saw? Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was about me, by the way. But um, so uh, my first gig was Dailyman Park, and, and I'm sure lots of Irish saw that, that, that first, I think it was the first outdoor concert. I'm not sure about that, but the, the headline act was Tin Lizzy. And to see Brian Robertson, Tin Lizzy lineup, it was like they were at their peak with yes. probably the best lineup ever. But then there was a band, four from the top, that hugely impressed me. A, a band called the Boomtown Rats. Wow. And I can remember Bob Geller holding up. They had just released Looking After Number One. It still hadn't charted. So they're yeah, unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He holds up the album and says, I want you to buy my album because I want to be rich. I really do. Well, I think I made him rich, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and then, but of course, the best gig I ever went to—that was the second one. The best was the one we went to with ACDC. Oh, I mean, you're talking different. on Scott. Yeah. 1979, unknown band. They played what in 400 people. Uh, they were unknown, but a, a, a tremendous uh, gig. I, I think for the gig to be your best ever, it has to be in those younger years when you're truly a fan, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I think. Like we we were nearly thrown out that night for jumping off tables up up above. We were, if you recall, we were on the balcony. But then when Angus came down on Bond's Bon Scott's shoulders, shoulders, yes. You managed to hit the guitar. Well, I saved I saved Bond's life. I didn't <laughs> realize he was on his second bottle of whiskey. Uh, but and Angus was a teetotaler, so that's probably why. Angus was okay. He's on top, but he's stone cold sober. But you're right. They, they went past us and it's on, on the balcony with four deep. And the, the crowd behind me, well, four people, surged. And actually, Bomb was going over the edge. It probably wasn't a legal height at the time. He's going over the edge. And Angus was spare chested by this stage with the guitar strap. I, I pulled the guitar back and then I slapped it. Yeah, yeah. And, I went, and then he went, away he went. Let there be rock. Wow. You know, I, I, I searched the next album for, we'd like to thank the anonymous Irishman for saving <laughs> uh, my life. Nothing. <laughs> That's typical. Um, yes. But to answer your question about happiness, I was happy in Ireland because I'd gone from seeing music to playing music. And, and I was in a band called Swing 42 throughout, you know, the 83 through to the week before I emigrated. And, and that was great playing jazz music. Jazz was quite popular in Ireland in, in the 80s, early mid 80s. And, and we were playing Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, that swing Parisian jazz. And, yeah. and we even got to France because one of the one of the um, members was going out with a French girlfriend. Her her uh, parents owned a holiday home on the island. So and they loved us. And, and and that's when we introduced the Pogues, who were big in 87, 86, 88. We introduced the Pogues music and started doing Irish music and and we brought that into our repertoire and slowly began to move from the jazz into Irish music. So I was quite happy with my little car and my little band yes. and my friend. So what was the catalyst to move? <clears throat> well, it wasn't economic. Uh, it wasn't even unhappiness. Uh, I guess if I can sum it up, I, I, I was saying to myself, I, I, I could see my life mapped ahead for 10 years. Mm. Ireland was quite depressed economically, you know, 18% yeah. unemployment. And it was hard to 
go on a, get your career on a, on a on a tangent and try something else because if something came up and you went oh i might try that there'd be 20 people amply qualified to get the job so i could see my life mapped ahead of me and it wasn't a bad life but i remember saying is this it yeah yeah what's on the other side you know what's on the other side of that mountain i wonder and i guess it was that curiosity that desire to go oh come on there's got to be more or at least have a look at what's outside little old ireland and i guess that was the motivation for me i was i was still single and i reckon if i stayed a few more years inevitably i probably would have got married with kids and once that happens it's much more harder to emigrate you know when you got others to think of whereas yeah. i only have myself and, and i guess when i look back on it though that 28 year i was 28 and it was kind of brave very yeah do it now but as you get older of course you get more cautious you you, you lose your bravery when you're younger you can be very brave but it, it was and I, I remember the day leaving so well i remember scraping the ice off my dad's windscreen i don't miss the cold weather or the or the gray skies but i scraped the ice and the parents brought me up and and i was just heading for departures and i said to my parents oh look i just need to go into the toilet but it was an excuse i started crying wow. in front of a mirror in the toilet I, I, I was being hit by this what am i doing you know i was being hit by trepidation i guess hmm. and i pulled myself together slapped myself around which i like doing and, and i came back out again and and as i hugged dad it was and then as i hugged mom she could feel me going again and her last words to me before I left were, go now. Mm. And and I guess it was just that final push. Wow. And once I got that final push, that was the hardest thing to do, I think. Just that. And I guess that's what stops a lot of people from doing it. A lot of people might think about it, and it's not for everyone. But there is, you do have to be, a, at least then you had to be a bit, rave i think maybe now it's not so hard i don't know video conferencing you know phone calls for me back home were phenomenally expensive you could only do it maybe once every two weeks or something and for 20 minutes off yeah. peak yeah, uh, yeah. with no video uh, i i think brave is a good word because i remember thinking at the time um geez you know this guy has a good good job he's a manager he's a car he's doing very very well and he's moving whereas you would associate emigration back in the 80s with somebody who is on the dole has nothing uh whereas you were secure uh, and and jumped uh, whereas the majority going back then had nothing and not only that but all my friends around me would have picked me as the last person to go i don't know do you remember me then i was i was insufferable <clears throat> well not changed but um I, I wore my irishness on a sleeve i was so patriotic the, the, the rugby would come on at home and i'd be putting tricolors on the wall in advance i drove my mother crazy you you and, you you used to cut your grass and you'd put you'd cut era in the on the back lawn i did you know if we had a bigger lawn i might have cut ireland but <laughs> I used to cut era into the lawn. That's right. And I'd go up on the roof and take photos. <laughs> I was, but I was. I, I, I wore my, I wore my Irishness on a sleeve. Yeah. Uh, that's something that's changed a lot. That, that patriotic person. Yeah. That's kind of gone. But he's been replaced by an Irish person. But the point I'm making is I was probably the last candidate in our whole cohort that people would pick to leave. Correct. And yet I, I did. I left. Yeah. Okay. So, Dan, you, you leave your parents at the airport. You get on the plane. What was the what was the plan? Had you had you people waiting for you there? Had you a job lined up or were you just going on spec? Uh, I had a brother in Australia. My brother was there and he did sponsor me. And, you know, you look back in that and, you know, eternally grateful for that because it enabled me to get PR because I don't think I would have gone without PR because I think it would have narrowed my options for securing employment 
or at least decent employment. PR, what do you mean by PR? Uh, permanent residency. Ah, okay. Like the green card in America. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I got it because he sponsored me. I wouldn't have got it with because essentially in Australia, you got in if, if you fit that number of occupations they needed. Sure. Nurses, you know, whatever it is, and uh, welders and so on. But if someone sponsored you, it meant that if, if, if it all turned upside down, they, they would bail you out. That's the basics of it. Okay. So Brian, my brother, sponsored me, and that, that got me over into permanent residency, which meant I could stay forever, and I had no limitations on job securement except in the public service because you had to be an Australian citizen to work in the public service. Okay. That, that's the, and I couldn't vote, but there you go. And, um, and so, but besides that, you know, Brian, I'm sure my brother would, 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 would agree with this. We, and you, you, you met my brother. We were very vastly different creatures. We were, we were on quite different pathways in life. He was sure. already married young, already had some children. I just barely got out of our, the leather pants, Tony and, and <laughs> you know, rock and roll. Here I go. So I didn't go there for him, but he did meet me at the airport he did enable me to stay with some uh irish friends actually i i knew her from uni but what wasn't a part of the of the group but again it's very nice isn't it because you're just i think i stayed with them for three or four weeks but i knew i'd have to find my own way i knew this ultimately was my journey yes. this was just a halfway house until i i started going for it so i guess i had yes i had that but essentially i was on my own wow and i job lined up yeah yeah and then in terms of a job had you one secured or we just go out and start the job search oh uh, the first thing i had to do was was find a place to live it's funny isn't it you're, you're starting again you're yeah. almost starting again and and again another another decision that had a huge repercussions for my life because um remember it's 1988 so it's the adverts isn't it for for sharing accommodation it's yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no webs there's no mobiles and i saw this ad and it said a housemates wanted for two people and underneath it the line said must be into music and i went oh tick and tick so i went out to them and that's when i met stan and dina and honestly I could have had a different experience by going to different people and, and met a whole different. Yeah. Wow. It was amazing yeah. decisions like that. And, and they're not taught through. They're random. Life is random as well. And so one sentence in the ad just captured you. I kept most music again. Yeah. And Stan was a sax player. He was crap. But anyway, <laughs> and, and Dina played a bit of piano and, and, but they had a big circle of friends. And a number of them into music, a number of them not, but they were into soccer. Yeah. And again, I used to play soccer in Ireland and Gaelic and, and I actually, and, and so through them, through that funnel, you know, it blew out into this ready-made ad war and I've got 20 friends, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Now, and lots of them have gone, but some of those people I met then are still my friends today. And that's what, how many years ago? 35 years. Yeah, I've been in Australia longer than Ireland, so <clears throat> I crossed that threshold a number of years ago. So uh, you'd have to say they are my old friends, and two in particular, they they were muse musos as well, part time like it, like us all, chancers like us all. But but you know, it got me that brilliant. And I found brilliant. my tribe, I guess, and and I look at some Irish. I've met lots of Irish out here over the years, and. And some make it and some don't, Tony. Yeah. Some, some come and they're gone in four months. Yes. And, and I think when I came out, I, I, I made myself a promise. I said, one year at least. At least, I don't care if you're crying in the gutter. Give yourself a year. Because I knew homesickness would set in. Yeah. And it did. And Boy. it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people succumb to it too quickly, you know, and they go back. Some people come out and they stay two years and they go back. Some people 
stay and then have kids and they want the kids to be brought up in Ireland and they go back. I've known some people who've had, they'd go back home for holidays and they miss it so much that they go back and then realize winter is coming and no one's got time for them anyway, drizzle and dark days and they come back out to Australia. You know, there's a whole yeah of experiences, but I think one success factor is you find your tribe, you find friends. It's so important in life, isn't it? And, and is it and is it necessary that that tribe is Irish or you know do you, do you try and embed in the Australian culture a lot I know a lot of people who go and the first you know they might go to New York the first place to go is the Irish community the Irish bars yeah what about I, Australia not, there's nothing wrong it's everyone's journey but I went the opposite I actually ignored the Irish diaspora in Australia in Brisbane. I ignored them. I, I felt I am not going to settle in this country if I go to Irish bars and cry into my pint of Guinness. Hmm. And so I, 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 sh I, I shied away from the Irish because I felt it was so important to meet Australians. I wasn't there. I wasn't in Australia to meet Irish people. Yeah, yeah. I was in Australia for a new experience. Why go into Irish pubs and listen to the Blarney that you could have listened to in Dublin? Hmm. You know? And so I ignore it, uh, and and as a result, I, I I don't have Irish friends out here. They would have gone home anyway. It's very difficult. Wow. They're so transient. Yeah, yeah. By nature, whereas the Aussies are staying. So no, I I took the opposite of some people in New York, and I uh, no, I didn't turn my back. I just felt if I went down that path, I would not settle. Okay. And so I embraced the Aussies, and uh, and, and and did the Aussies embrace you? <clears throat> well, I know you 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 think that you're that not a very be, embraceable uh, person. Look, I not I don't like hugs very much, uh, unless it's you know Rory Gallagher. I'd hug him. He was a small fellow, wasn't he, Rory? Rory was small, but he he filled the stage. He filled the stage. He filled that stage. He was he was a dynamite guitars but anyway look this this is a question about i guess how well are the irish thought of in, in a place like australia i can't speak for america or canada i've been mm. there you have been but you, i'm sure you'll have people on your podcast from that neck of the woods mm -hmm. and they'll give their experiences and and then uh, i think a lot of the experiences would be similar but everyone has a their own journey as well uh, but yes, I would say in Australia, the Irish have enormous currency. Go away. Wow. Uh, it, is, it is changing because the face of Australia is changing. You know, the, the main migrant communities now are Indians and Chinese. So, but among the, the Anglo-Celtic nation, almost certainly. But it's funny, Tony, when I first came out and I said to myself, oh, 40% of, of Aussies have an Irish heritage. I mean, I'd expect where okay. I'd be seeing seeing Irish symbols everywhere. Nothing. Queen Victoria statues, Union Jacks. All the streets were were Elizabeth Street, Alfred Street, Edward Street, Margaret Street. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. All English, <clears throat> quite English in 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 nomenclature, in 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 statues, in in, in flags. And I remember saying to myself, where. Where's the Irish heritage? They talk about it. it. Took me a while to figure it out, but the Irish heritage for me in Australia is in the people. Yes. When when I started talking to the people, I, I, you know, and I know New Zealand quite well as well, and I would say, I, Aussies are more like the Irish. New Zealand are more like English. Wow. And Scottish, <clears throat> which had a bigger influence in in that. Whereas the the Aussies. They're different to us. They're more direct than us. Yeah. They're, they're more direct. I keep noticing that when I go back home, but but they, they're they kind of cheeky. They don't take themselves serious. They love a slagging. They love a drink, all that kind of thing. So they have that kind of warm, embracing nature to a point. The Irish take it much further, but but yeah, that's that's to me is, is the Irish heritage. It's not in buildings. It's not in, in statues, it's in, in, in the psyche of the people. Yes. Or at least that they white European people. Yeah. So there's more, uh, more, they're more into the crack, we'll say, 
they get us they they get us and and it, 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 me being irish has never been <clears throat> it certainly hasn't been a hindrance yeah yeah i'm not sure if it ever opened doors by the way but what it opens up is is an immediate kind of friendship you know an immediate nice feelings on the other side if they know you yes. you know conversely to that you know i don't know we'll get into my career i guess but i i do a lot of work in malaysia in an asian country and conversely i always say oh yeah i've come in from brisbane but guess what i'm irish and it's like oh yeah, I, irish oh, oh you too you too uh saint patrick's day you know <laughs> there's an irish pub in town there's an irish pub in every town so you don't have that currency in a place like asia at all uh, yeah it's not there it's only in a few countries i think you'll get that and and we have to thank our forefathers don't we we it's not my behavior that that got that goodwill it's the behavior of all the irish that came sure. before me yeah that 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 got that and it's probably the same in america i'd imagine so in terms of employment then what where did you start i i i went to my first interview and <laughs> the guy sat down oh john john's passed but anyway we're all getting old but he he sat down and and i was like i was used to irish interviews you know pretty full on and he sat down and he went and he put a peanut in his mouth <laughs> and he said so a lot of troubles in ireland aren't there and i went i didn't come here to give you a lecture in irish history but <laughs> but that was their impression because when they did get stories coming over it was the troubles it was bombs it was all that and they thought Ireland was a war zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and do you know what? At the time, everywhere around the world, anybody you talked to, that was yeah. the only thing that was associated with Ireland. And I had to talk about, well, it's in the north, you know, although yeah. there has, well, I was in Dublin when the bomb went off, but, you know, but you didn't see it really. It, it was very localized, wasn't it? But yeah. that's what they heard. So that was my first interview. But I got the job on the second interview and it was as a consultant. And they said, well, would you like to be a consultant? And I, I'm 28. And I said, well, look, in Ireland, consultants have grey hair and they're, they're fellows of the institute. And, and, and the guy said to me, if you can talk, it'll work. And I went, yeah, I can probably talk. Yes. And yes. so I became a consultant in that, in that old quality management industry, ISO 9001, you know, all that. Very good, yeah. And, and the great thing about that job was it brought me all over Australia in two years every you know every capital and i was able to look at australia as a whole because i i always fancied i'd end up in melbourne or sydney but i actually decided after seeing all there's not a bad city in australia but i decided brisbane you know it, it, it's big enough that you two will pop in on the world tour uh but it's small enough that it's it, it has that kind of it's not a, a city feel yeah it's, it's like an American city, I guess. It's got a central CBD, skyscrapers. But then once you go outside that, it's quite open, leafy, uh, lots of room. And, and so I liked it for that. And of course, the climate. I, I'm, a, I'm a lizard. Yeah. I, I can stay in the sun forever. So, I, I, you know, that attracted me to staying here as well, sure. having that subtropical climate. So that was the work, I guess. And, um, and, and it was successful. And, and then after... I think eight years of doing that, we formed our own company, which I'm still in today. So it's been going for 20 odd years. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have dreamed about that when I was a, a younger fella that I'd eventually have my own company and, and I'd be working, uh, for myself with employees trying to, you know, leverage into marketplaces and all that sort of thing. And that, that from that point of view, it's been very, a very productive journey the, the career side of things so and how many so you you formed your own company how many is in the company well it was at the time we built it up to 10 wow and we had offices in brisbane and melbourne but the problem with consulting especially if you have to travel is you take on staff and the first thing you do is pay them and it's the yeah. classic small business conundrum you end up being the last paid and plus it took me away from my family you know there were absences and it it it, it did wear us down 
and we did agree after about seven years of trying that if we can't grow it to 30 and get that economy of scale, pair it right back. So we, we brought it right back. Now it's just me and a business partner. But it's a great vehicle for me to, you know, slide into semi-retirement. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have to work the five-day week, 40 contact hours. I might be busy for two weeks and not for two weeks. And uh, I don't have to work Mondays if I don't want to. So, it, but that's, I guess, that's the, that's the reward for being able to build that, that company up and, and have enough ring, uh, irons in the fire to be able to keep it going without right. trying too hard. And when you went to Australia, Dan, you kept up the music, the playing of the music, and, and I know you still had some association with the band back in Ireland. Yeah, I, well, to tackle the first part, excuse me, Tony, <coughs> you can edit that out. <laughs> but to tackle the first part, yeah, I, I these guys, one was a drummer, one was was a guitarist and and there was another, another guitarist and we formed a, a band called Patton the Fat Man and uh, I was not the fat man but um and you know when I went to Australia I was amazed after doing the jazzy stuff in Ireland I, I learned there was at the time there were two sorts of music in Australia there was pub and rock right. and that's all they had and so I had to learn on the bass to go do 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 over and over again keep the note on keep the note uh, but we didn't play much, but we, we all got together a lot, practice a lot, you know, people's parties, we'd play, all that sort of thing. But we never really got into the gig circuit. Uh, and part of that reasoning also was get, settling down a bit. You know, the kids came along in, the, in you know, later on in the, in the 90s. But yeah, definitely the music was there, but, you know... The return of the original band was was a watershed moment um, because I remember I think it was two thousand and nine we decided to do a a, uh, a twenty year reunion back in France. Right. So we all got together, uh, and it's frightening to see people twenty years on. You know, <laughs> some some have weathered the storm very well, and others, you know, the the years have not been kind, Tony. That's all I can say. But but anyway we got back together but before that reunion I, I i always went back to ireland every two years every three years i'm sorry i never looked you up but I, <laughs> but you um, never you never really liked me anyway so oh look i pretend that the pretense was good though you thought i did <laughs> but we but uh, one of the band members uh, he was living in england like, like of the band of the five members three have emigrated that was the story of the 80s anyway that's right yeah yeah and they're still there. One's in London, one's in, in France. And he's a professional musician, actually, doing all the Riverdance festivals. He's, he's, that's how he makes his money. But uh, he didn't join us at this stage of, of recording. But the others said, look, when Don comes back, let's, let's try and do our own stuff. We always did covers. Right. We never tried to write music and record it. So that's what we did for three visits of mine between 2002, 2004. Uh, we went into a recording studio just for two days and and we i think we put down 12 tracks and and original tracks which which never saw the light of day actually i don't even think my mother's listened to them but anyway and but it was interesting when you started this podcast and i said to you do you have any intro music and he said oh you've got a bit of diddly eye and i said oh i i wrote this irishy thing you know way back I, it might fit, and I think you were a bit shocked, said, but Tobin, you can't sing, which is also true. And 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 I, I dusted off this, this song called Sea of Green, do you remember? And I think yeah. you listened to it recently, and yeah. it, it kind of fits what you're doing, because it is an immigrant story. Yeah. About a guy coming back, and it's set in, in 1990, the World Cup in, in Ireland, you know, because I did come back in 1990, in June, July, and that was what I saw. Everyone was wearing green jerseys. Ireland were in the World Cup, first World Cup. Tricolors, they were green bunting off the houses. It was, it was like a sea of green. Uh, and, I, and I called the song a sea of green. And it's about an, an immigrant coming back after 20 years, 30 years. And, and he's catching up with old friends. But he's sad. He, he's saying, why did I stay away so long? Why? I, it was only supposed to be for a year or two. And mm -hmm. a year turned into 20. And he's getting, he's getting these regrets. 
you know and i think the last verse has but then of course the second verse real uh, you know uh, uh you know you realize why he left it was the woman it's always a woman it's Tony. always a woman but, but sorry go ahead there was a there was something i wanted to say you know in the final verse there's a line that says uh many dreams of youth somehow don't bear fruit they say it's meant to be and and it, it's true it's they say it's one of the this uh our this aussie palliative care nurse wrote a book called the five regrets of the dying you know imagine being interviewed when you're about to kick the bucket but anyway that's what she did and one of them was unfulfilled dream you know not living your life not having the courage to live your own life for yourself yeah, yeah. living it for others to please others yeah be and they said why did i do that i had so many dreams that never got fulfilled and and while all of us can recognize well that's true not not they all can't come true yeah but some people none of them come true they, yeah you know yeah. it's slide away into just living and and sometimes you got to pull it back and go well don't forget some of your dreams you can yeah uh, you can try and aim to fulfill some of those dreams as well so. but dan i i uh, yes it's true i said you couldn't sing um <laughs> but you you sent me on the uh the recording uh the night before last and i played it and I, and i don't give compliments out easily particularly to you <laughs> <laughs> but i thought it was a fantastic song i thought really? it really did yeah so what i'm going to do is i'm going to play it on the podcast and yeah. I think I think it goes on for four minutes, and it's a bit long. yeah, but it's a good it's 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 a story, yeah. Uh, and the lyrics are an very very story. It's an immigrant story actually, and uh, you know. But we had a very good drummer. We with a session drummer Paul. He was from Intuanua. Do you remember a band Intuanua? Oh, oh uh, Leslie Leslie Dowdle. Leslie was the singer, and Paul yeah. was on drums. And Paul wow. was the drummer on that song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so he, he lent his, his chops. He's a brilliant drummer, so at least it's in time. <laughs> oh, it's excellent. And we'll put it we'll, we'll put it on the podcast, obviously, but we'll put it on all the social media sites as well. So now the only problem with that is I want 50% of the royalties. Yeah, okay. I all right, which means I'll have to buy a pint when I come back home. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Christmas number one. Oh, who knows? So, uh, so where are we now? You, you're, you're coming close to. Have you any regrets, Dan, of moving? Um, gosh, or, or I, I might phrase it. Uh, what do you miss most about Ireland? Or, well, besides the obvious family and friends, you know that that's yeah. the obvious one, but. Um, uh, you know, as much as I, I said, I, I stayed away from the Irish, mm. you know, when I came out here. And even sometimes the Irish annoy me. Uh, this might be controversial. <laughs> I think you it know, will be. I think it will be. <laughs> I think some, you know what happens? Some, I, I see them trying too hard. And the Irish can see through an Irish person trying too hard. You know, the paddy whackery. They put on the paddy whackery, I call it. Yeah, yeah. You know, an example would be, I saw this video, I think it was soccer fans, and they're obviously half-jarred, but a girl comes out from Victoria's Secret, with a, and they surround her, you know, and start singing, you've lost that love and feeling, and she's petrified. But the Irish, they're going, oh, we're, she's, we're great fun, we're, we're, we're a great crack, and we're a great laugh, and we're doing it. And I find it just cringy. When, it, when they go too hard, when, when they, they elevate their Irishness, and it's not natural. That yeah. does annoy me about the Irish. But when it's natural, that's what I miss the most. That sense of Irishness yeah. and being surrounded by it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when I came back home in May, you know, it was four years because of COVID. And that was the longest I've been away from Ireland. So you kind of forget a bit. Mm. And when I came back in into Dublin Airport, there it was. Straight away, I, I recognize it. Uh, it's a softness it's 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 yeah. a it's easy it's just easy and a politeness there's a they're not they're not ready to stab for they're ready to greet yes they're, they're coming from a point of view of 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 happy to see you 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. and and that, that that being surrounded by that—that's what I I miss. And and I'd come home and I just walk to Laytown and other place, and I just love hearing Irish accents around me because I don't hear them here. Yeah, it's all Australia over here, and and so, and in fact, um, I went to uh, I went to Ireland. I think in 2018 with my my partner and, and two friends, and and she was so looking forward to my two Aussie friends. Uh, I want you to show us Ireland, Don, and I'm going. Oh, really? You know, uh, and and then and everyone think, oh, the Irish are so friendly, and you know, all oh, all this stereotype of the Irish, and I, I I was trying to dampen it down, and say, look, as Bruce Springsteen once said, there's an arsehole on every block. We might meet a few arseholes, but. And so I'd say, you don't know. It, it, I'd like that to be your experience, but I, I can't guarantee anything. So we hit your town on the way down to Dingle, Limerick. Sorry, I didn't look you up, by the way, but anyway. And uh, and and we're at the traffic lights and we're, we're trying to get lunch. And, and obviously they're talking wild Aussie accents and I'm not. And this old lady comes by and can I can I help you? And and oh oh sorry, oh, we're just looking for somewhere. Well now if you if you cross the road and you go down and there's a lovely pub and they do a lovely soup. Do you like soup? And do you like the soda bread and all this sort of thing. And she's charmed the knickers off them, right? By just being herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I yeah. I stood back in it and I went, That's what I miss. Yeah, yeah. That's not put on. Yeah. That's not that's not paddy wackery. That's her being her. Genuine. And that's when the Irish are at the best when they're just being themselves. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, I think most of all, that's what I, I miss. I don't get it over here. Yeah. And you can't yeah, experience yeah. it in videos. You can't experience it watching a hilarious video on the Irish Independence website, which often isn't hilarious, by the way. But anyway, but you know, the Irish are a peculiar race, and we're a fairly defined race, and and uh you know you'd have a certain pride in 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 your race i mean i've got two kids now and they're they're half irish but all australian if you know what i mean sure and uh little aussie bastards and uh you know they're like they're 25 and 23 now and i noticed that they re recently renewed their irish passport so they're not Whoa. letting go yeah yeah and i know yeah. tommy my son he's going to be out there next year he's going to be working in dublin and and I think quietly they're very proud of the Irish heritage and they're, and they're aware of it because they've been over there enough times and they've got all the, the you know, 400 first cousins and so on and so forth. Excellent. So I think we're going to finish up. I have one last question, unless you want to talk a bit further, but Barry's tea, potatoes, or a pint of Guinness, what do you miss most? Have to pick one. Uh, well, I think you should have put in also bacon and cabbage, um, because you know that to me bake, bacon bacon and cabbage. It, it, look, food wise, bacon and cabbage. The first okay. thing my mum does for me when I'm home is bacon and cabbage. Oh, I love bacon and cabbage. Yeah. Beyond that, and you can't really get that over. You can, but you can't. But you can, but you can't, because pork out here is different. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, I. I fang for my first pint of Guinness. I won't drink it out here. Partly it's the climate. It's too hot in Brisbane. Guinness is a cold climb beer. So it's all what you call lagers over there out here, I guess. Uh, well, all, I, Although we're being invaded by craft beer. Honestly, just murderous. But yeah, going into a, a pub in, in Drada or even the local Julianstown Inn and seeing that pint being poured to perfection yeah yeah you know and, and having that first point oh, i'd miss that yeah yeah don it was a pleasure talking to you and i promise i'll keep in contact <laughs> well remember another regret of the dying tony <laughs> talking about i'm only 62 i'm already obsessed with dying but another an, another regret is is that they didn't keep in touch with old friends this is true and, you know you know they're what you might call the golden friendships you you can't make them when you're in your 40s you can make friends and i have but they're not the same no no you true. haven't had those formers of years the experiences 
yeah. experiences of growing up. You're already grown up and, and there's nothing wrong. I've got fine, very good friends over here, but the, those old golden friendships. Yeah. Look, I, we never will lose touch and we can be a part of classic three or four years and we can pick up where we left off that classic thing, isn't it? But yeah, we, we got to keep in touch. Next time I'm over, we're going to meet in the flesh. Good stuff. Dan Tobin, thanks a million and best of luck with your future. Thanks, Tony. And just make me rich with that song, okay? I will. And it's, famous. It's good. It's good. Okay, All right, ciao. Tony. See you, Dan. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Irish by the Grace of God. If you like it, please share it with your friends and family and check out our website, shows.acast.com forward slash Irish by the Grace of God hyphen podcast. Here you'll find all our social media pages to make contact. If you know of any Irish people living abroad with an interesting tale, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you and tune in next week. Bye bye.